Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with a very timely guest in Dr. Sharon Grossman, who is an expert on burnout. So it's been certainly an interesting year, to say the least, even if we're counting since the beginning of the new year. And uh, certainly the bigger picture of the 365 days leading up to this point have also been interesting. So really, really happy to have you on the show, Sharon. So I wanted to ask you first, just to kind of start out, I saw an interesting stat earlier this morning. This is actually brought up to me by my partner, but basically I've heard there's an increase of burnout that like in terms of the searches that are happening on Google, like big time. So how's everything looking from your perspective, as far as the kind of demand that you've been getting the last little bit? Well, for sure, we've seen a huge spike, not just in burnout, but also in anxiety, especially since the beginning of COVID when there was so much uncertainty about what's happening with this pandemic, how long it's going to last, what it's going to do to people's businesses. And we had like the first surge and the second surge, and then we had election. So there's just like so much stuff happening in 2020 that has brought up a lot of anxiety for people. And one of the things I like to share is that burnout is really about chronic stress that has kind of accumulated over time. And so it makes sense that when we're super stressed out about all these things that are happening, and if we're not managing ourselves well, that it's going to manifest as burnout. Yeah. So I can imagine that that's something that's going to be happening to an attorney in the best of times, but it seems like things have kind of been compounding in the last little bit. And yeah, just as far as kind of building this up from kind of the first principles, I know like we've kind of mentioned this term burnout, which I'm like sort of aware of, but how do you determine when does stress become burnout? What's sort of the definition and what are the other key terms to kind of be aware of as we kind of start this discussion? That's a really good question. Like we said, burnout is the accumulation of chronic stress over time. But the way that you know that you are not just regular stressed, if you will, but actually feeling burned out is that it starts to manifest in other symptoms. So the primary symptom is exhaustion. And when we say that it is more of a mental exhaustion than anything else. So if you feel like it's hard for you to focus, you are just having a hard time keeping it together. That could be like a mental exhaustion. We also see for some people that they become really cynical at their job they have this attitude that, you know, oh, forget it. Like it's never going to work anyway. Why even bother? And some of the same talk that we sometimes hear with people who are depressed. So sometimes it gets confused with depression for that reason. And then we also see how it starts to affect people's ability to get their work done. And part of the reason why is because we lose our belief in our ability. So our self-efficacy, if you will, is being affected because our mindset is so negative at that point that we're not focusing as well. So we can't produce in the same way that we used to. And everything just becomes this like landslide. So those are the three main symptoms, I would say, but there's an actual progression and people have different models about the different stages and things. So, you know, there's, you can definitely look that up and see how, you know, it manifests through these models, but I think it also is a little bit different for everybody. And I've even heard that it manifests sometimes differently for men and for women. 
So it's kind of just interesting. And I think the most important thing to pay attention to is how you're feeling and what are some of the symptoms that are happening. And sometimes, you know, we're very familiar with the experience of feeling stressed out, but we don't always know what to look out for that helps us to determine that it's beyond just regular stress, that I'm actually going through this process of burnout. And so it's important to kind of educate yourself on that continuum. In the vein of being able to see this in yourself, so everyone can tell whether they've had stress or not. Like in your experience, is burnout something that most people have gone through at one point in their lives? Or is it something that's that's kind of rare in the population? I guess before 2020, obviously. <laughs> I would say it's probably somewhere in the middle where it's not everybody and it's not something that's very rare, but it's some it's probably about half of the population at any one point feels burned out. And this is kind of pre-COVID numbers. Really? Okay. Well, as, and, and I would say with a couple of caveats, one is in certain industries, you see it more so than others. So certainly with lawyers, we see high degrees of burnout. And I also really believe that it has to do with the individual very much because so much of burnout is about your mindset and the way that you're thinking. If you think about what stress is, stress is about perception. So we often think, oh, you know, somebody is doing something that's stressing me out, or my job is stressing me out, or my boss is stressing me out. And these are all external factors. And certainly, they can be perceived as stressful. And then we feel stressed out. But it's not the actual events around us that are causing us to feel the way that we do. And that's a really important distinction, whether it is true for stress, or whether it's true for burnout, because oftentimes we say, Oh, I'm just burned out because of my job, you know, and the truth is, how do you think about your job that is causing you to burn out. And the clearer you get on that, the sooner you'll be able to actually intervene and to prevent that feeling within you. So it's important to pay attention to that. And, and the reason I said personalities is because there are some people who are more negative in their mindset. So they're more likely to burn out. There are people who engage with their work in a certain way that is more likely to create burnout. So we have people who are perfectionists, who drive themselves really hard, who feel like they have something to prove. And so when you're super driven and you're putting everything into your work and it feels like there's no balance in your life or you've lost your sense of purpose, there's different things that can come into the mix. And when that happens, that's like the perfect storm for burnout. So it's like almost like, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a self-reinforcing cycle. And I can definitely imagine, and this is the thing too, like a lot of people go into law school because they were the kid who always got good grades and then they do well in law school. And then they pride themselves in being really doing good work at the first firm they work at. And then especially if your sense of self-worth is tied to your work product and all of a sudden your work product isn't necessarily at the best quality because you're burned out. Like I can absolutely see how that can just snowball and become like a really, really horrible outcome. Right. So you kind of mentioned perfectionism as one of these like root causes, but that's actually really, I mean, this is actually a question I had written down for later in the podcast, but like, you know, as far as the potential for people to be more or less susceptible to this, I was thinking of things from like a physical perspective, like, you know, there's those old stories that like Margaret Thatcher only needed to sleep four hours a night or something like that. But as far as the different potential, would you say it's, it's more mindset than a physical capability for the most part, right? Well, we have two things. We have our mindset, which when we are very negative, then it is going to affect everything. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And because there's that mind body connection, you're going to feel perhaps more physically exhausted when you're mentally exhausted and when you're thinking in a negative way. But the other piece to consider is the physiological, as you're referring to, which is your energy level. So if you think about it, if you want to kind of narrow it down, burnout is an energy game. Mm-hmm. And so how you manage your energy is going to be basically something that's going to be able to determine how you feel. The people who are so focused on work and aren't taking the time to eat well, to exercise, to get enough sleep, you know, people are sacrificing their sleep so they can get more work done. They're never disconnected from media. Like all this stuff can have, can really wreak havoc, not just on your mind and, you know, on your mental health, but on your physical health. And so we know that when you aren't eating healthy foods, you're more likely to feel fatigued. And when your body's kind of in that slump, you're less likely to want to go exercise because you haven't exercised and you're kind of feeling crappy, then, you know, it's hard to, this quality of your sleep is affected. So everything affects everything. And so you can't really separate the two. I think you need to find that like happy place where you're getting your work done and you feel inspired and you feel accomplished and you feel fulfilled by your work, but at the same time, spending some time on yourself, on the things that are meaningful outside of work, whether it's on your health, whether it's on your relationships, anything that is going to complete the picture. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, to your point, everything kind of being connected to, there is a mindset element to that. Cause like, you know, you can think about the people who idolize people like Gary Vee and they're like, Oh wow. I love it. Putting a hundred hour weeks or like people who got their start in law at a litigation group where they were competing against this faceless other team and wanted to outwork them. Well, it's like, if your mentality is the harder you work, the better you're going to get, you might be more likely to leave these things by the wayside. So, and that kind of seems like, and that actually kind of leads me back into one of the things you mentioned earlier, which was kind of like these stages of burnout. So if somebody feels like, and I know you mentioned there are a couple models, but like, if you want to just, you know, pick one that, that you've been liking the most, but just as far as like somebody who might be suspecting that they are on the path or in the grips of burnout, what are the major stages and how would somebody identify whether they're in one stage or another? So It's an interesting question because there are, as I said, different models out there. And so it's really going to depend on uh, which one, (laughs) you know, I don't know that they've been scientifically proven, but uh, one that has is kind of known is by Freudenberger North. And he talks about there's 12 parts to this cycle. So it starts out with the compulsion to prove yourself, as we just talked about, which leads you to stage two of working harder. Stage three is you start to neglect your own needs. And I think this is kind of like where I dive in with people. It's like, what was happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? If you're feeling kind of fried, if you're feeling kind of depleted, there's probably some unmet needs and we need to get really clear about that. So this is where this is kind of an invitation for people to increase their self-awareness and get in touch with themselves. Stage four is when you neglect, uh, we said, have a displacement of conflicts and needs. Mm -hmm. And then we go into revision of values. So what's so interesting is at first, people are really driven and they start to see that they get into this conflict between what I need and what the job needs of me or what other people need of me. And this is kind of a psychological phenomenon where they start to change their story. Interesting. With it, the reality, they're like, well, you know, I really, I'm not sure that I actually value 
like time for myself. It's probably not as important as doing this. You know, you start yeah. to tell yourself the story and you start to believe it, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we go into stage six, which is denial of problems. Right. So now you're noticing that, you know, you're gaining weight. You've had a little too much to drink for the last month that you're isolated. You're not going out with your friends as much that your sleep is negatively affected, that your mood is down, whatever the case may be. And then you're like, oh, you know, it's probably nothing. It'll yeah. happen. You're not really paying attention to like what's contributing to it. And you're not in that problem solving mode at this point. You're kind of just like, it's probably nothing. Yeah. And then we get into withdrawal, which is stage seven. And then we, from there, we go to stage eight, which is obvious behavioral changes. So we actually start to see people turn their behaviors around. And that could mean a whole number of different things, but it could be that from the neglect point of view that you're just not doing the things that you, like if you're a runner and you ran all the time, now you're not running, you know, but it can also be in your work. Like if you've always come into the office and chit-chatted with all of your colleagues, now maybe you just go and sit in your desk and put your head down, you know? So, you know, it can really manifest differently. And from there, we go into depersonalization, which is actually interesting that he talks about this because this is something that we talk about that happens when you're really kind of out of your mind, mm-hmm. when um, you're feeling like, you know, you're not really in your body, like things are happening, but you're kind of just like dissociating a little bit. And then stage 10 is inner emptiness. So you're feeling like, you've given your job your all, there's nothing left to give. There's just like this total, this hole within you, if you will. And then we get into depression. And then finally, what he calls the burnout syndrome. And so that's kind of a 12 step process that is, is, you know, shared in the literature. I don't know that everybody goes through all the stages. I don't know that it necessarily goes in that order. I would just say the simple kind of model to think about is, what's happening now for you that feels different from before. And you might associate it with some terms that you're already familiar with, like anxiety and depression, because you already know what that is, or stress and depression. We all use that very colloquially, but there are some subtle differences. And so if you're paying attention to that, it can help to inform you about what's actually happening. Yeah. And like, as you kind of went through that, I was like starting to think around like step like three or four. I'm like, this is already, you know, not a, not a path that I certainly would want to be on. I think most of the people that are trying to live happy lives want to be on either. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of different signs. It's like, you know, almost might be kind of more of a spectrum, would you say? And like, if you're not, if you don't necessarily have to go through the slides, it's like, yeah, I'm thinking actually, this is another thing that, that went into my head while you're going over that is, um, like the progression of Edward Norton's character in Fight Club where he shows up, he's smoking cigarettes at his desk and like, it doesn't necessarily have to be that literally extreme for people. But yeah, I mean, I think probably in retrospect, a lot of these things will make sense. But what I also find really interesting about that is the fact that people are changing their narrative to justify what's happening, right? And just to kind of take a step back, you know, uh, for anyone who's listening, this is Dr. Sharon, you have a degree in psychology. So this isn't like, you know, woo woo kind of stuff. Like we're, we're talking about real psycho, uh, psychology stuff, but basically like people can change the narrative. And at that point, it's kind of tough because you don't even know that you're in it at that point, right? Yeah, it's actually an interesting thing that we do. And it's not just around burnout, but in general, and I think everybody can relate to this when it comes to their limiting beliefs. 
or to self-sabotage, right? We see this all the time. There's a phenomenon called cognitive dissonance, where if you believe something that is different from your external results in the world, then what we, you know, our brain is kind of like, what? what am I supposed to believe? There's like this truth and this truth. There's this inner truth and this outer truth. And so what's interesting is that sometimes we will change our story to meet what's going on outside. And sometimes we sabotage the results outside to meet our inner truth, right? This is what we call self-sabotage. So if, you know, and just to give an example, I was talking to somebody about their relationship and they were talking about how they believe that men are cheaters. And so, you know, she couldn't be in a successful relationship as a result of that. And, you know, it was interesting. It came back to the fact that her parents had gotten divorced, her dad cheated on the mom. And, you know, it was like, well, tell me about your relationships. And did your boyfriend cheat on you? And she's like, no, he was kind of the exception. And I'm like, well, look what you're doing there, right? So this is what our (laughs) mind does is when we find evidence that is contrary to our belief, we start to say, oh, you know, that doesn't really count. That's the exception to the rule. We start making excuses for why it's not really relevant information. And then what she would do is she would cause some drama in the relationship so that it would end. And then she could say, you know, I, I can't do relationships or like, <laughs> yeah, let's do them anyway. <laughs> and that's sabotage, right? Yeah. Because it, she didn't believe that it could work because all men are going to cheat on her. And so, you know, and so this is what her brain does. It like creates these stories and then we either change our reality or, or we change, you know, ultimately what you want to do is think about what you want mm. and then have a belief that aligns with that. And it's kind of important work to do to, really remove those obstacles, those limiting beliefs so that you can be successful. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, it's really interesting. And and we actually had a a recent podcast that we just recorded on. This is an old uh, thing. I think I heard this from like, this is an old NLP thing, but it was like, basically the prover proves what the thinker thinks. So like, you're going to figure out a way to figure like, you know, make whatever reality that you're insistent on finding is something you're going to find. But it's really refreshing to hear that from a trained psychologist, because, you know, for anyone who's uh, actually the the topic of that, that podcast was, you know, the bridge between psychology and what people kind of consider more of this, like, you know, whatever law of abundance, or I guess more air quotes, woo woo stuff, but there is a real psychological basis to a lot of these things that sometimes people will dismiss out of hand. But I also want to say like, you know, if somebody knows that if they accept the fact that there's not, you know, what they're looking at isn't necessarily an objective view of reality and they are aware that they can be changing the narrative for themselves, I guess it's sort of almost a, like a, a vaccination against burnout because if they understand, oh my God, is this something that I really believe or is this something that I've told myself to believe? And I know you mentioned perfectionism as being kind of another thing that could lead to burnout, but like, what are, I guess, like the mindsets that you think are the best defense against being in a situation where you might be more primed to enter this stress and burnout kind of situation? I think regardless of what's happening on the outside, your job, if you want to prevent burnout, is to manage your thinking. And so very few of us are actually very mindful beings. We're kind of reactive. And so things happen and then we get stressed out or things happen and we get upset, we get frustrated, we get sad. Like, all these emotions happen. And then we say, oh, it's because you said this thing or you did this thing or that happened, you know, but really, if you do the work of going inside and figuring out 
what actually was that intermediary step, which is what did what story did my brain just make up about this thing? Then you can understand why you feel the way that you do. So for example, if you're a lawyer and you're in your law firm and you're working 80 hour weeks and you're feeling exhausted, it makes sense, right? But if it's, you know, that you have this now cynical attitude about how, you know, your clients are always going to be these like really difficult or yeah, difficult, just ungrateful. You know, like, yeah. Or like that the legal profession is always going to be X, you know, and you've got some labels, some story around that, that sort of thinking is going to make you feel a, a kind of a negative way because you have that negative association. So you really want to ask yourself, what is it that I think about this situation that's happening? So we've got COVID now and you know, at first people were all excited. I get to work from home. And then people are like, oh, I have to work from home. <laughs> you know, and that's an example of you've got a situation and the way that you look at it is going to affect how you feel. And, we, and you know, the situation is the same. You have to work from home. So it's like you can be excited about it or you can be frustrated and upset about it. It's all in how you think about it. So, you know, so much of it is going to have to come down to managing your thinking managing your brain in order to change your experience. And so I often tell people, if you don't have to quit your job and find something else, and you don't have to change your industry, you just have to change how you are within your job or within your industry. And so, you know, I was taking like two and a half years to write a book about all this stuff. And in that process, I went and I interviewed a number of lawyers and I found it actually fascinating, the differences that exist out there. So I started out by looking at lawyers that work in these very prestigious firms that are like global. They've got, you know, gazillions of dollars coming in. Big law. Yeah, the white. Yeah, huge, huge law, yeah. right? <laughs> and who do they attract? People who are super high achievers people who basically are married to their job and there's nothing else. There's no room for anything else. And I have to say that it was a little bit sad to kind of see what's happening in these people's lives because one guy in particular that stands out, I spoke to this guy was making in the millions every year, which you're like, wow, this guy's really successful and good for him. And that's great. But it came with such an enormous cost because he had no personal life. Like his wife was leaving him. And even when they were still married and he had, you know, the family and they would go on vacations, he knew without, you know, shadow of a doubt that some, at some point, somewhere, someone was going to call him back to work. Right. And so he would compensate for that by bringing additional members uh, on the trip. So the the kids can bring a friend and the wife can bring a cousin and like everybody had like a backup plan. Cause then as soon as he would leave, you know, they would all be okay. And that was his way of not like feeling guilty about having to leave. But, you know, like I said, it's such a cost and uh, he was working nights and weekends and just like around the clock and he couldn't see it. He couldn't see that his commitment to work and his kind of sacrifice of everything that exists in the world, like that all of his time, energy, all his resources are in this one basket uh, was causing him grief because he was, you know, he was kind of depressed. 
he was obviously lonely because his wife was leaving him. And like, what do you do when that happens? You lean more into work. Yes. Yeah. It was all, he was all in on the work. And at this point, like, you know, going back to the model, he'd probably written himself a narrative for how that was going to work out for him. And he was already ignoring all those things and that, 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 that kind of stuff too. Right. Yeah. And I asked him, do you think that your, your marriage would have been saved if you would have worked less? And he's like, no, I have nothing to do with it. You know? So, so you could see that this she is where my shoes. <laughs> so you could see the denial, you know, where we think that we can continue to do things in the old way and that it's not going to have any sort of effect on our lives. And then when things go bad, we're like, oh, it wasn't because of that. You know, that just happened. Yeah. Um, also- and, then, and then in contrast, I just wanted to share that then I spoke to another lawyer who was making far less, but was so happy mm-hmm. because of the way that he structured his lifestyle. So he was happy to be in law, but not to be under the pressure constantly. And so he just chose his lifestyle to be very different. He was living out in Hawaii with his wife and he bought a second home on the beach. And every weekend him and his wife would go and hang out on the beach in their summer home. And, you know, it was such a contrast in like how you live your life. And both of them are lawyers, but one is like making so much money and has like nobody to spend it on. And the other guy is like making enough to thrive and is actually thriving. So I just thought that would be an interesting share. Yeah. And it's, and I definitely want to dig into that. And like, I, I want to kind of go a little bit tactical uh, before though. So basically I was kind of thinking, so we, one of the things you mentioned was that a lot of the times when people end up wanting to go to a different industry, like if we take the guy who was like, you know, the guy who had the, the bad, the bad outcome, if he got married that day and he went into, I don't know, insurance or something like that, because he hadn't decided to look on that, he'd probably find himself in the exact same position in five or 10 years, wouldn't he? And that's the thing too, like a lot of the times and and what we found, and this isn't necessarily for burnout specifically, but when people end up writing these stories for themselves in relation to maybe a marketing program that we're helping them with, if they've made up their mind that it's not going to work out for them, and then basically, you know, you can either face this demon with what's in front of you right now, or you can tell yourself it's going to be different next time around and find it in six or 12 months from now. But um, as far as getting out of that and and kind of facing these things head on from like a, you know, like tactical perspective, how do you encourage people to actively think about their thinking in that way? Like, you know, do you recommend journaling or should people be in therapy or like what, how does somebody consciously go after this and, and work on themselves? Well, I don't think that there is just one right way to do this. And I think really just also depends on your preferences, some of which have to do with your personality. So for example, if you're an extrovert, you're more likely to want to talk about it. And so it's it's something that you can do if you had a mentor, a coach, a therapist, a colleague, or somebody who is willing to listen. So having social support and expressing yourself outwardly is probably more of a match. If you're more of an introvert, you're probably more likely to want to journal about it. You might do some meditation or maybe just talk to one friend, something like that. So I think it depends. One of the things that I tried to do when I created my book was to have it be like this resource that people can use as a way to coach themselves. I actually built in like a workbook that people can go through each section 
digest the information, answer some questions for themselves and be able to see how the information then applies to their situation. So when you've got things like that, that allow you to reflect on what's happening and kind of slow down the process and really think about it from a new angle, you start to have some insight. The the more insight, the more self-awareness you have, the more you can do things differently. Right. And then to get like super, super nitty gritty on this, like, is this something that people should be doing every day, every week, every year? Like, what is this? I mean, I know there's no one right answer, but like, what do you generally recommend for somebody who's coming to you in like the grips of a bad burnout situation? Well, I would say there's two things. One is you've got to recover first and foremost. So it's kind of like if you had the flu, you would first want to recover from the flu. You want to like build up you want to like rest and do, do something to take care of your body, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe drink lots of fluids and take some medication or what yeah. have you. Once you get back to your baseline, then it's about building up your immune system so you don't get sick again. So what, what do we do? We get the flu shot or we take vitamin C or we do things to prevent it from happening as much as possible. And it's not a guarantee, but you're in a better place than if you weren't doing those things. And I think the same applies to burnout. So the recommendation is that you have some way to get yourself out of the hole, right? You have to change. Mostly, I would say you would start with your mindset. You want to change the way that you think about things, which will change how you feel. And then you'll change how you engage with your work, how you engage with your life. And then once you get back to baseline, then it's about creating some sort of routine that helps you stay in a good place. So that's where self-care really comes in. And there's not like a total prescription for that where you say like, oh, you've got to do this every day. You've got to do this for X amount of time. I think the ideal is that you do something on a regular basis, whatever that means for you. It can be every day, a little bit of something or every other day, but what you do is going to differ, right? So we know it's important for us to do like the basics, right? Eat healthy exercise, get enough sleep. Those are like basic things. And then beyond that, if you really want to build up burnout prevention, if you will, or, or, or just in general, just like being a good place in your life, that's where a meditation practice can come in. Where what you're doing is you are rewiring your brain to be less reactive. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is because like I said in the beginning that we are very reactive people, right? is just how we're born, right? We're not born with like all this mindfulness. This is something that you have to actually, it's a skill that you have to learn. You have to build over time through practice. And in that same way, just to backtrack. So that's why we feel all these emotions. And that's why we do all these things to cover up all these uncomfortable feelings. Like we, we drink a lot or we do drugs or we're overeating or we're shopping or we're on Facebook all day long. Like we're doing everything we can not to feel all the discomfort that we feel. And what I would say is that while all of those emotions serve a purpose, also I think that if you took the time and it doesn't have to be a, a lot of time, but it can be like 10 minutes a day to meditate, what you do in that process is you're actually changing your brain so that when something happens, you just don't react as much. So you don't have to do all of this work to then get back to baseline. You don't have to work as hard to bring yourself back. If you 
you're just more to begin with. So I think that's really powerful. And I, I, I love sharing that message with people because it is not just about like every time I'm burned out or stressed out, like how do I get back to myself? But it's really about how can I empower myself even beyond that? How can I be stronger, more resilient so that when things happen, it's like not that big a deal. I don't feel it as strongly. Yeah. It's kind of interesting too. Like I'm thinking, especially of these like super type A people, they might think that doing, having a meditation practice or something like that would be a sign of weakness. But in in the reality, you know, what's weak is getting absolutely rocked emotionally by every bad thing that happens your way. And you got to think it's, it might be kind of considered a little bit new agey, but like, ultimately, if, if this makes you more tough as a person, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty badass. (laughs) People should lean into it a little bit more. Okay. I want to zoom out a little bit to people who might be thinking about this from an organizational perspective. So if you have somebody that's maybe like, how can leaders drive to make a team where burnout or like expectations where burnout is less likely to show up for the people that they're working with? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't know that there's one right answer, but what I would say first and foremost is you want to make sure that the culture is one that embraces the person and doesn't think of workers as a machine. Right. Which is how, if you are that like super type A personality, you probably think of yourself as a machine. You know, you, you treat yourself as such where you just are constantly pushing, 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 pushing. And sometimes we find ourselves when we're those like type A personalities in industries and in organizations where they expect the same. It's a match, right? I, I'm looking for people who are really going to work hard and they're like, I'm, I'm a hard worker. I'll be, I'll fit right in, you know? Yeah. And it does work to a point where you can like produce, produce. But what we have to understand both on a personal level and on an organizational level is that when we take time out to take care of ourselves as human beings, we actually can reach more optimal performance. And so it's not just, oh, if I take time out to meditate or to exercise or to take some deep breaths, whatever the case may be, then that's time that I could be spending on work, right? That's how we often think about things. What we know is that when you don't take that time out, you're more likely to burn out and that really forces you to slow down. Whereas if you have it built into your day and into your week, then it actually keeps you going and be able, you're able to focus more, you're able to get into that state of flow with your work and be more creative. And all these things really contribute to the quality of your work. So it's not about being a perfectionist. It's about like optimizing your conditions, optimizing your mind so that you can have better performance. Yeah. And that actually kind of brings us full circle to that, that Hawaii guy though. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I think this whole mentality where like, if I could only get an extra hour and a half out of myself every day, it's kind of like, you know, that old phrase, like tripping over dollars to pick up pennies. Cause it's like, you know, with that extra hour and a half of work, which probably isn't going to be good as the first hour and a half of work you put in the day. If you have that six days a week for years on end, then you probably as a leader aren't getting to the point where you have that big idea that might actually create something that's a lot bigger than your individual contribution for that kind of time. But like to the kind of, and it's, it's interesting too. And you, you see like a lot of people, like I listen to Tim Ferriss podcast, he has a lot of high performing people and like without fail, almost everyone has some sort of a meditation practice. 
You know, the other thing too, I always hear like Richard Branson always says this. It's like the hour, a day that he spends in the gym ends up getting him six hours of productivity, like the other thing too. So I think it's a really short sighted that people can't do that. But from like a, like a cultural perspective, like making space for your employees and not just yourself too, is like probably going to make it less likely. And you're going to have the situation where, you know, you got to rotate somebody off the team for two weeks at a time because, you know, they're having panic attacks and aren't showing up to work because, you know, there's been horrible things expected of them, right? Organizations have been incorporating more mindfulness practices and they're, they're bringing in trainers and there are, there, there is a movement to start to implement this into uh, take away the stigma of it being something superfluous or something that's woo-woo because they're actually studying this and they're seeing with the data that this actually increases their bottom line, that people are taking less sick days, that people are in a better mental state, that people are just more satisfied with their work. Like there's all these measures that that, you know, when you when you have data and you you can't argue with it, then every organization is like, it is saving us all this money and healthcare, you know, costs, but the, the, they're not sick, that they're not taking time off from work, all these things. Why wouldn't we bring in somebody to teach this? Why wouldn't we embrace this in our culture? Yeah. And I love that too. That's the best thing ever when you can, you can feel good about doing something and make more money. <laughs> it's a two for two. It's, <laughs> it's the best. Okay. Well, that's awesome, Sharon. So, I mean, I guess kind of parting wisdom. So like, what's kind of the best way for somebody to get in touch with, uh, you know, to enter your world, if it's something that they've been, you know, encountering themselves or it's in their organization, like what's the best place to get in touch with you? So the best place is to go to my website, which is drsharongrossman.com. On there, there is a place where you can sign up if you want to have a breakthrough session with me. There's also a link there to my book, The 7E Solution to Burnout. So if you want to grab a copy, it's on Amazon, but you can also link to it from my website. It's all kind of, everything's on my website. I'm also including on the website uh, something that I just came up with recently, which is the burnout meter. So if anybody is curious where they are in that process of burning out, they can take this assessment and then get on the phone with me and I'll give you your score and tell you about what your next steps should look like. And then I'm also currently working on a webinar. So if you go over there and it's not ready, then come back soon and check it out. But it will be a free webinar on my website that talks a lot about some of these mindsets that contribute to the problem and what you can do to help yourself get out. Okay. Awesome. So super appreciate all that stuff, Sharon. I know I'm probably going to be hopping on to grab the book after this, but I definitely encourage anyone who's in the same boat to, uh, to do the same. I think, you know, this of all years, it's absolutely something to pay attention to. And, you know, obviously it sucks when you get in a situation where the, you know, the wheels fall off, but you know, whenever people find themselves, it's, it's an opportunity to do it right the next time. So thanks for taking the time, Sharon. And for the rest of you guys, I will see you next Tuesday, 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.